You are the foundation of your family. You are the firm footing they build their lives on. You carry a glorious burden and you never dream of laying it down. You carry it with joy and gratitude. You show up even when you don't feel like it. You lead, serve, love, and protect. You are a father. This is the Dad Work Podcast, where men are forged into elite husbands and fathers by learning what it takes to become harder to kill, easier to love, and equipped to lead. Get ready to start building the only legacy that truly matters, your family. Welcome to the Dad Work Podcast. This is your host, Kurt Storing. And guys, I am very excited today to introduce you to my guest, Ken Curry. I first heard Ken on my friend Will's podcast, The Renaissance of Men, which I highly recommend listening to. And uh, I got Ken on because a number of you guys have been asking for mature men who have been there before, who have successfully raised adult children. Ken just became a grandfather, and I loved what he had to say on Will's podcast. I had a chat with him a couple weeks ago, and uh, very, very excited to get into this conversation. He blew out my expectations completely. So uh, that's very exciting for me. It's very exciting for you. I think you guys are going to get a ton out of this. We go deep today, talking about Ken's new journey as a grandfather and what it's like seeing his son become a father, breaking generational chains in your family, some of the best parenting advice I've ever received, how to become internally referenced as opposed to externally referenced, which we sometimes hear called being a nice guy, how to defeat shame, the five questions every man needs to ask himself, the four-step framework for fatherhood, the importance of building your own personal Mount Rushmore, and the 10% autonomy rule that leads to parenting teenagers successfully. Ken Curry is a father, husband, grandfather, mentor, friend, bow hunter, lover of the outdoors, and also a licensed marriage and family therapist. His practice specialty is manhood, masculinity, and relationships, and is continually exploring new avenues of strength, vitality, and purpose for himself and the men he works with. Ken works from the premise that masculinity is good, that each man brings significance into our world, and that men have been designed to move with freedom, presence, and strength. Along with individual and relationship counseling, Ken provides groups for men to build personal integrity and strength so men will influence their world with intent and passion. That's a heck of an intro, and man, he does not disappoint at all. You can find Ken at his website, solidman.com. You can also email him, Ken at solidman.com. He said he'd love to hear from you guys. And you can find his books on Amazon. Search for Ken Curry as an author, and you will find everything there. So if you want to learn more about this episode, uh, some of the things we referenced, those links, you can go to dad.work slash podcast. As always, you can also get our free elite dad habit stack at dad.work slash habits. This is the habit stack I've spent the last 10 years perfecting. And uh, man, it just helps me show up every single day. Even when I don't feel like it, I do these things. I show up better than I would have otherwise. And uh, there are simple things that you can do on a daily and weekly basis to have you leveling up. So get that if you like to. If you like this podcast, leave a review, all these sort of things. You know the drill. Let's get into this conversation with Ken Curry. Here we go. All right, gentlemen, thank you and welcome back for another episode of the Dad Work Podcast. I'm here today with Ken Curry and I heard you on my friend Will's podcast mm -hmm. and I knew I had to have you on and uh, he suggested I have you on as well, actually. So I'm very excited to have you here, Ken, because, uh, well, for a number of reasons, but let me just say that I have been asked by a lot of guys to get mature, successful men on the podcast mm. so that we can hear from men who have been there before because a lot of guys are like me. They're in the journey right now themselves and they haven't actually completed this step of their journey. So with all that being said, <laughs> a little bit of a lengthy <clears throat> intro. Thank you, sir, for being here mm -hmm. and uh, and welcome. Now, so you're saying you're asking the this part of the journey. What part of the journey are you saying <laughs> talking about it. well the uh the one where you have been so successful through your life ken oh, and uh okay. you know the, the one i think the one that gives you gray hair as well if i can just say that <laughs> okay so yeah so this oh my gosh the journey it's never over and we're always on it it's such a such a cool thing um definitely so i'm 61 years old um, I've been at this for quite a while at this. This would be working with men, trying to help. Uh, and actually, it's been my story of uh, my own 
personal growth, my own discovery of what a man is, of what a father is, masculinity, all that. It's all overcoming so many of my own problems and issues in my own family and, and growing up as a man and what our culture does to men and everything. So it's just been my own personal journey has been a really strong part of now what I'm able to impart to other men. And so I've been at it for, for a long time, obviously my entire life trying to figure out who the heck I am and what is a man and how do we actually operate and be, be a father and love people and be strong and, and all that. So it's been a one heck of a journey for me, for sure. That's fantastic. Yeah. The, uh, the question of what is, what is it to be a man? Uh, I think we're going to have to come back to because I, I wanted to start off actually asking you about what I think is a pretty new development for you, which is being a grandfather. Yeah. Uh, how long have you been a grandfather now? Oh, so my, my grandson, he just had his second birthday um, last week. So he's, uh, and oh. so we had a big, big party, a uh, harvest party. We went to the corn maze and all kinds of stuff. So he's two years old and, uh, and it's one heck of a fun thing. I just love it's this. Right. And my wife and I actually have um, set aside time in our week um, for in our schedules to be able to watch him on Mondays and Fridays. And so, um, it is, it is. So it's kind of a, it's a, yeah, it's definitely a blessing. So we've been able to watch him and since he was tiny, tiny little baby, and now he's just, he's a little boy and running all over the place and, and we have our adventures all the time. And, uh, it's just, it's a lot of fun. I just find it is one of the most fulfilling things I've ever done being a granddad. Wow. And what is it like to see your own child become is this your son's yeah 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 and what is it like to see your son become a father what does that look like as a dad yourself so this everything about it is just uh pride just kind of it's just everything is just really awesome um but one of the things that i talk to men about that one of the questions is what exists in this world because you exist and and i think that's a really profound question for a young guy to ask because then starting to develop your vision for when you're 90 years old and you look back you can ask you can answer that question and you can go i know what exists because i exist and and so when you ask that question about my son you know cuz i did the same thing with him when he was a little baby changing his diapers feeding him taking care of him teaching him how to walk and all the the stuff you do with your kids um, and so it's just, I think that's one of the most profound things as a father, being able to understand that these people, this group of people did not exist except for me. And I helped create that. And I think it's such an honor, such a blessing to be able to do that. And so <clears throat> when I see my son building his family, I mean, he's building, he's building my family as well. And it's just, it's a, it's a really, I don't know, fulfilling, it's deep. It's significant to just see that there there's something that exists in the world that's continuing to grow and be um, because I had a really part a big part of this. So that's a that's the thing when I see my son just building his life and he's being a strong good man and he's providing and protecting and building his really good relationship with his wife. It's just man, it is it's it's fun, fulfilling. It's pretty amazing. Man, that is so inspiring, and uh, I'm 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 not thinking about that yet myself. And at the same time, hearing that, I'm like, oh, I want to parent my sons in a way that I get there, where I've got that relationship, where I can have that relationship. So I'm curious, what is your, what do you think your role right now is? Maybe as a grandfather, but more importantly, I think for our listeners, like, what is your role as a father now? Okay, are you still leading your son anyway? Is it completely his responsibility to be? in your life or do you have any say in that like what who are you now as this more mature sage grandfather figure in your children's lives yeah this is really cool um it's a really good question so my three kids so i have a daughter um son and a younger son and they're all within four years so 36 33 no 34 33 um and so i have now it is a relationship where it's an adult relationship and so kind of as you ask that question, the answer is yes, yes, yes. It's all his responsibility, and it's my other kid's responsibility. But the coolest thing about this whole thing is because my wife and I have done a really good job of – I just think we've done a good job of parenting 
Um, our kids, we have our kids love us. We're close together. We spend time together. We do things, and they're all they're all off doing their lives and making things happen. But I definitely have a role as as friend, as mentor, as guide. Um, I'm here if they ever have a problem. Um, man, we support them um, in all kinds of different ways. And so I think having an ongoing relationship with your adult children um, and having that, um, the yeah, you said sage, sage mentor. Um, yeah, the, the, the sense that I have wisdom to be able to impart. And, and it's always fun. You know, whenever we go out for beer, whenever we go play golf, um, my son who has the, my grandson, um, we always take a week off and go hunting. We were bow hunters and we go elk hunting. So this year in September, my son actually got an elk this year, which was awesome. And packing that thing out was, that was a lot of work. <laughs> I bet. It was a lot of meat. So, but that, that week with him of just having deep conversations and, and it's just, uh, I tell you, yeah, it's, um, again, honor and a privilege to be able to have that kind of relationship for sure. Did you have a father like that growing up? Um, good question. No. Yes. I think younger, um, when my dad, when I was younger, so my parents divorced when I was, uh, just finishing high school. And, um, I would say before that my dad was present and he did, um, but he wasn't, he wasn't the type of guy who had, um, life wisdom, I think he had his, a lot of his own struggles, <clears throat> but like he taught me about the outdoors and taught me about hunting and fishing and things like that, which I love. Those are really big parts of my life now. Um, but as far as imparting wisdom, that was not my dad. I'm curious then like how you, having done what sounds like an excellent job parenting, how did you parent and how did you become the man who could parent without exactly the template? Because I think that's what so many of us struggle with right now. Yeah, such a good question. So one of the concepts that I really love um, when I work with men is the whole idea of breaking the chain. And um, so many of us, we look back, it's so generational. You go great-grandfather, grandfather, my dad, myself, now my son and my grandson. We, that, we've got the generations, right? And, um, I'm, and it's, uh, it's, a, it's really important to be able to look at it and go, here's what my dad gave me. Here's what my grandfather gave him. And even my great-grandfather gave him. And it's like, I don't want – being able to look at it and go, this is what I like and this is what I don't like. And when I say break the chain, oftentimes there are generational sins or generational patterns, you know, alcoholism, uh, sexual affairs, um, uh, even even success is sometimes a gen generational pattern, right, where, um, you know, financial success kind of builds and becomes more financial success in a, in a generation. Um, and so being able to look at what, what did my family give me? What did my grandfather give my dad? What did my dad give me? What did he not give me? <clears throat> and so being able to look at it and go, I don't want to give my kids this. My dad cursed me with thinking that I was stupid. And I think it was because he felt stupid at times. And so it took me a long time and part of my journey learning that I'm not stupid you know, here I, here I was, it was interesting. I had a master, I had a bachelor's degree, a master's degree, a postgraduate certificate in marriage and family therapy. You know, I'm talking uh, plenty of education and I still thought something inside of me was stupid. And it was because of how my dad talked to me when I was a kid. And so that was something I'm not going to give that to my kids. And so I broke free from that. I now I honestly believe I have a good mind. I'm not the smartest guy in the room, but the thing is, I have a good mind. I'm, I'm not stupid. It was, that's been part of my journey. But that's not what I was going to give my kids. And I wanted to give my kids something totally different. Um, there's a number of other things, that the patterns that my family of origin had that I broke free from. Obviously, my parents' divorce. Um, and so that was something, as a young man, young married man, I'm like, I am not doing that. So I remember going to marriage conferences and studying and books and all kinds of stuff where I'm not going to do this. I'm going to have a good marriage. I'm glad to say we've, we've had our 38th anniversary with my wife. And so that was something that I said, I'm not going to do that to my kids. 
Um, my dad had affairs. I'm not going to do that to my kids. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to learn how what I need to do to have a strong sense of self where I'm going to be the man that my kids need to be. So breaking free from those generational patterns is a really powerful thing. And, and when you're able to look at it and go, I broke free from it, and now it's not, it's not even remotely part of my kids' lives. And so it's like I'm, I'm looking at it going, I was the pivot point where this just didn't even happen. Yeah, and you, I can only imagine looking at yourself in the mirror these days going like, yeah, I did that. And not in like a, a gloating or boastful sense, mm-hmm. but this level of self-respect that I can only imagine must be present. Uh, mm-hmm. Does that enter into the fold in terms of who you see yourself as and just the way you carry yourself? <laughs> Gosh, um, it's so interesting that you say that because it, it used to be – I used to have a really difficult time looking at myself in the mirror because I didn't necessarily know who I was. And I didn't know what I was about. I didn't know my purpose. I didn't know my identity. I, I didn't know um, my capabilities and all this. And so I just talk about that. It has been something that's different. And it's fun fun because I'll, I'll find myself smirking at myself in the mirror, you know, because we know that guy in the mirror. I know what's up, man. And, and we're able to go it's done a really good job. I'm only 61. I got tons of years left. And, and it's all gravy because if I died today, I'm happy. I've done great. This has been a great life. And so being able to think about it, I have plenty of time left. And, and it's such a blessing and an honor and gratitude to be able to have this extra time because it's going to be great to be able to see my grandson have a, have a kid someday, you know. And anyway, that's what I anticipate. Um, so, yeah, I'm pretty happy where I am. That's fantastic. Thank you for sharing that. And I'm also, uh, pardon me, honestly, still inspired by these things because it's, um, it sounds different than a lot of men because there's a lot of, um, you know, as you approach retirement age in, at least in the West, you get a lot of guys who lose the sense of themselves, whether Mm -hmm, that's because mm -hmm. they've been so into their jobs or their careers, right, right, whatever the employment (laughs) is, that's where the identity comes into. Mm -hmm. Um, and I want to get there, I think, but my first question is how did you happen to have the wherewithal to break the chain in the first place? Because a lot of guys don't even get there without maybe listening to a podcast like this going, oh, I didn't even know I could do that. So what was it about your journey that you were able to see your own life uh, as part of this larger chain? And then maybe we can get into what sort of work you ended up doing. Gosh, that is, that is a, that's a great question because I don't think that I am so profoundly intelligent that I I know this to be true. That I I think it was more of a gift. It was more something that was bestowed to me. The understanding that hey, you can do this differently. Um, you don't have to. You don't have to do the same thing. Um, and I don't know. Maybe I got that from somebody. Somebody. It was a gift. Somehow, it was a gift to understand that what's gone on in my family of origin and all my generations in the past. I don't have to. I don't have to do the same thing. Right. And so it was a commitment. I'm going to have the best marriage that I can and I'm going to do everything I can to make sure it's really good. I'm not going to get a divorce. Um, and, and so or that was one thing, obviously. Um, but just to have the wherewithal to think that I had the capability to make changes and to break chains and to be able to um, to make sure that my family from this point on are going to have a different a different platform upon which to live. Um, and to seek life. Um, I don't think I figured it out. I think somehow it was given to me. And I did it, and I followed through with it. And that's the important part. Because I, I was thinking about this myself, going like, why did I turn out this way when a lot of people with my so-called story mm-hmm. would have gone off the rails? And I can't help but have the same answer. So I'm actually very encouraged by hearing that, <laughs> because it's also then what you do with that gift. It and is, so I, it I'm is. actually, I would love to hear what those things were. Cause I know like your work, um, is about becoming a solid man, uh, being self-referenced and all of this stuff, I assume is what you had to do to get to where you mm-hmm. are today and change those stories. Uh, is there a way that we can sort of walk through your journey in a, in a sense that might help the men listening? Yeah, such a good question. So it's, it's been a long journey, um, trying to figure out who I am, trying to overcome, 
uh, shame. Uh, the whole the idea that you're talking about the you said you called it self referenced. I'll call it internally referenced. Um, that's that's um, the goal that I have for every guy that works with with me to become more internally referenced. Um, because my the majority of my life was externally referenced, and most men out there, <clears throat> we live externally referenced. We live according to what would please others, or what would make other people happy with me, or what is the expectation of everybody else. Whether it's my family of origin, whether it's my culture, whether it's my workplace, or whether it's my wife, it's what does she expect me to do? And that's kind of what our culture has done: is made it to where men have to refer to everybody else okay what's right or what's good or how does a man operate or whatever and and it's like and what it's done is it's just created a a just a, a massive amounts of these nice passive guys who are just trying to make everybody happy and to appease and and so that is no way to live and so the the movement of moving from an external frame of reference to an internal frame of reference, what that means is now I'm my internally, who am I? My identity, my desires, my um, all the resources that I have within, because I have my heart, I have my spirit, I have my my intuition, I have my instinctiveness, I have my body, I have my neuro neurobiology, I have my mind, I have my memory, I have my humor. Um, there's all this stuff within me, all my emotions, all this stuff within me that is there to be able to guide me in life. And if I'm internally referenced, I'm listening to everything within me. I have my character. I have my values. Um, all those things um, that guide me into what's right or what I want to do. And that is a completely different way to live. So, like I said, my life has been pretty much externally referenced, but there's been a journey of learning a different way to live. And so as I learned, and I did a lot of reading, a lot of observing, a lot of watching what's going on out there, and being able to watch guys with confidence, and I'm going, they don't really care what everybody else thinks. You know, what is that? It was. I'm like, that is strange to me. But then I looked at one of the one of the guys. I have a good friend, John, just super confident man. He's been. Con I was in his wedding, um, year in, in eight, 1984, I think. No, they got married the year before we did, and so. Um, but John's been this guy who's just confident, and he just knows who he is, and he loves what he does, and he's passionate. Anyway. So he was one guy in, in my life at one point in time, I got laid off from this job and, and we had, we went out to eat for lunch and he just asked me, Ken, what do you want? What do you want in your life? Cause he knew the answer for himself. And this was a perfect place for me. Cause I, I was like, I don't know what I want. Cause I don't know what I want because I was so externally referenced. I know what everybody else expects what everybody else wants, but I don't have a clue what I want. And so this is one of the things that with guys being able to, I call it exercising your want muscle and your want muscle is like the size of a peanut. Imagine your bicep being a peanut, right? Because you have never exercised your want muscle. You don't even know what you want. And so that was like a, a massive part of my journey just to start to ask, what do I want? What would make me happy? What is my life all about? What am I passionate about? And that was the really opening the door to starting to discover my internal frame of reference. And it really has a big part. Like I said, my identity. And I had mentioned the whole idea of defeating shame in your life. Shame is that thing in your life, that voice in your life that says you're not good enough or you, you don't measure up. Um, something's wrong with you. Something's defective. And most of us as men, we have that sense that something's not right and it's not true. There's nothing wrong with us. The joke I say is the only thing wrong with you is that you think that something's wrong with you. <clears throat> and it's like, nothing's wrong. We're in perfectly. No, I can't say perfect. We I can't say perfect. We're in good working order, right? We're not perfect. We have our deficiencies, but we're in good working order and all of your internal um, resources that you have work really well. And if you trust yourself and trust your resources, you're going to do just fine. 
and you're going to be able to find out who you really are and what you really want in life. And so for me in my journey, being able to find out who I really was, that I'm not stupid, I have a good mind, that I I am a powerful man, but my power is good and my power is for my family and for others. Um, my idea of power was a massive part of my life as well because I'm, I'm a big guy. I'm 6'4", 250 pounds, always been a really big person. And one of the things in my life is I always thought that my power, I always, I didn't like being a strong individual because there's something about my power that I believed was just to hurt or destroy or to break things. And it's like once I started realizing, no, power is a really good thing. And it's not a power over people or to break or destroy, but my power is for other people. And that was a massive shift in my life as well. So there's just all these little things. What do I want? Who am I? The really important questions that I had in my life that I began to answer. Um, um, this is part of one of the things, my, the five questions that every man needs to answer. First one is where does life come from? That's a really big one because usually we think, you know, you hear about the golden haired goddess, the woman, that life comes from your woman. It's like, no, no, she is not God. But most of us get caught up in that where we think, oh, my gosh, this is she's on a pedestal and all this. So that's a really big one. Big question. And and oftentimes our um, our the things that we're addicted to are things that we think that's where life comes from um, and learning. No, that is not where life comes from are not things. All those things are just gifts from the gift giver who is the true source of life. To me, that's God, Jesus. Um, that's who the real true source of life is. And God is the gift giver of so many different things. And it's when those things become our source, then that's when things become awry. And so right. that so that's a big first question. The second question, of course, is who am I? Third question, what do I want or what do I need? What do I want? And then the fifth question is where am I going? And that really has to do with our purpose. And that kind of looping it back to what I was saying earlier is the whole thing of, of having a vision for your life. Where do you want your life to go? You know, as a young man in your 30s, being able to think 60 years ahead of time. You know, when I'm done with this, what would make me just look back and just tear up and just well up with pride that I'm just happy with the things that I produced and created and the things how I made an impact in the world of people or whatever it was? Um, that's the that's such a huge question that most guys don't even think. Our heads are down. We're trying to make a living. We're trying to make a paycheck and month to month trying to figure this out today. But that's a really strong question, but you really shouldn't ask, ask that question until you get the other ones answered. So it's really important to get the other ones answered for sure. Yeah. Where does Sorry, life come from? Who am I? What do I need? What do I want? And where am I going? Mm, okay. So those are the questions that every man needs to ask himself uh -huh. and that makes so much sense. Um, and then like, what, what is the practice here? Because if you ask yourself these questions, you're like, oh, I've never asked these before. Do you just write them down and that does something to you? Or is there like a practice that goes along with this? Because I want to figure out what the, what the question answering does in practice. But then I want to figure out like, okay, I've got these questions answered, but I'm still terrified to be seen. I'm still terrified of getting it wrong, of being imperfect, of doing things for myself because people aren't going to like me anymore. So first of all, like, where but, do you answer the questions? And then how do you live this? But see, that that what you just said, I'm terrified of being seen or are people going to like me? And that, <laughs> that goes back to the question I was saying, like for my friend John, he doesn't didn't care about what other people thought because he was a confident man. I'm confident that I'm okay with who I am. And that's a really powerful part of the whole thing of the identity where it's internally referenced, internally validated. I know who I am. And so if you don't like me, that's more about you than it is about me, mm -hmm. you know. And so but that didn't. What was the question you just asked? Oh, basically, how do you get there? Because it's it's one thing to be like, oh, I've answered these questions. I've journaled on them or however you answer them. I think it's another question to be like, oh, now I believe it. 
because I yes, think there has yes. to be like practice or something, right? Like, how do you <clears throat> yeah. be, how do you start to believe the answers to these questions? Yeah, and see, that's a big part of the whole thing. Like, um, gosh, I, I don't know who said it, but they said the longest journey in your life is the eighteen inches between your head and your heart. And so, what that means is, I know it. I know I'm a good man. I know I have a good heart. I know, but do I believe it? And that movement is huge. And that's what I'm saying. It took me a long time. I know I'm not stupid, but I still believed I was stupid. And not until I broke free and from the belief that I was stupid was I able to actually be able to be free right. <clears throat> to be myself. But it's a long journey. And so these questions are not just answered here. These are questions that you continue to process and answer forever. And so especially like think about the, the whole idea of where does life come from? You know, and if I let's say I'm I'm uh, stuck with some addiction, uh, what's a good addiction? Well, a lot of guys struggle with porn, right? And so usually porn is this addiction to that woman, that beautiful naked woman is going to provide something for me and validate something inside of my soul. She's going to make me feel better about myself somehow, right? And because I don't feel good inside, because shame is still exists in my life. And that she's actually providing that. So she becomes a goddess. She becomes the god that provides life for me. And if you think about it, the way this cycle goes with porn is, let's say I'll surf for a little bit. And during that time, man, everything is good. I don't feel horrible. I feel good. I feel validated. But as soon as I masturbate and, and ejaculate, boom, I'm exactly back to where I was before. Or shame, it just washes back over you, and I feel like shit again. And so that whole thing of you find out this porn thing is just a counterfeit. It's an idol. It's not real. This is not the source of life. But the problem is I've been living at, believing that this is the source. This is going to give me something. <clears throat> and for most guys, when we learn that first thing, we were 13 or 14 years old or whatever. We weren't thinking about source of life and where life comes from. And this is a counterfeit. But this is what we grew up with. And we thought, oh, my gosh, this provides something so deep for me. Um, but it's not life. And we realize, and you start to go, no, obviously it's not life because it's actually destroying my life. It's diminishing my power. It's diminishing my relationship with my wife. It's diminishing my sexual energy. It's it. Everything is just wrong about it. So that's that whole thing of, of identifying where am I trying to get life from that's not the true source of life, Right. Um, and it could be anything. It could be gambling. It could, like I said, alcohol or any other um, drug or, or anything like that. It could be um, workaholism or accomplishments or winning or it could be a million different things. All those things are counterfeits, but they're all the gifts. They're all gifts from the gift giver. But do I, do I seek the gift giver or am I seeking the gift? And that's a really profound thing. So think about that. That is not just something... Think about how guys process <coughs> overcoming a um, an addiction. It's like it takes, man, it takes years, or it takes. It's a, it's not a small thing to break free from it. Um, but you have to identify it as a counterfeit. This is not something that is a powerful part of my life. It's something I want to break free from. It's something I want to be set free from the bondage that I'm in with that thing, whatever it is. Um, and so the whole process of, of learning is, is identifying and, uh, and observing where in my life am I diverted to something where I think life comes from that really that's not the thing. And it, like I said, it could be a million different things. Money, security, my guns, my six-pack abs, you know, my big pickup truck, you know, whatever. It, it's a million different things. And I have to – so that first one – is just a process of observing, paying attention, identifying my counterfeits, and then start to uh, to seek the true source of life. 
So does that help with what you're talking about with the the idea? Of- yeah, for sure. It's just like there there seems to be so much in each of these, and I think exactly. that's maybe the reframe that guys need is that it's not going to be overnight. Nope. And for me, this is a message of hope, and that's why I share anything that I share because I felt hopeless and like I was a complete loser, and that I'd be better off dead. And mm-hmm. I got through it, you know, by God's grace alone, I think, um, and, and able to share now so that guys who are in that space of being externally referenced or feeling terrible can be like, look, at least I've got one more day of trying because I know there's light at the end of the tunnel. And so when I'm mm-hmm. talking about like how to do the work, it's just for the guys who are like, they need something now. So as you said, noticing writing these questions down and just start looking in their life and identifying where they're looking at idols, for example, rather Mm -hmm. than the true source. Mm -hmm. Um, And then do you just simply after that, as you start like getting into it, for me, I think it's one of those things that you just can't unsee. Like once you start down this path, Mm -hmm. it's very hard in my estimation to get completely distracted and forget about it. Um, But is there anything else in terms of like the doing of it? Like you work with clients, presumably you have men's groups, I think. Mm -hmm. Uh, So Mm -hmm. is that an important part or guys just write this down? Where, Where else can they go to do this work in their own lives? Um, of course. I, yeah, I'm just one guy. I only, I have a busy client load. I have three groups that I have with guys online and, and guys who work through the material. Um, the, uh, gosh, for anybody. So here's the thing. I did this by myself, not by myself. It was working through a lot of reading, a lot of mentors, a lot of guys that were with me, a lot of friends, um, and, and working through stuff. And so, um, but that's not answering your question though. Cause I well, have, it does I, take a community in my experience. I, like yeah, I did a lot myself and I only got like, <clears throat> when I look back at it, I go like, Oh, I was so good at doing the work quote unquote. And I look back and it was like, it wasn't until I got into a men's group and had other men reflect back to me who I was showing up as that everything changed. And that was like 80% of the work. Was that the experience you had as well? Yes. Yeah. I think the whole men's groups are phenomenal and men, the whole idea of community, it doesn't have to be a men's group. But if you have men in your life, <clears throat> I um, one of my favorite ideas. Um, it was a, a, a one of the managers of the Colorado Rockies, Clint Hurdle. He his idea was the concept that he said is every man needs a Mount Rushmore, and the Mount Rushmore are four solid, strong men in your life. Who, if you were to say who are my four guys, you'd be able to go Bob, Joe, Bill. And uh, Jimmy or whatever, right? And and be able to know that I got men in my life who are there to support me. I support them. We do fun things together. We talk about real life. We talk about this stuff. We read books about masculinity, whatever it is. It's like, and if you can build in your life a Mount Rushmore, you're going to be doing really well. It's fun because in my groups, I'll have guys going through groups. And, and at by the time they're done with group, it's like those guys – are now their Mount Rushmore guys. And it's yep, fun when they graduate exactly. and move on. I know those guys are going to be hanging out together because they know the language. They know what's up. They know how to support. They know how to talk to each other about it. But most guys, we don't talk about our stuff. We'll talk about the baseball game. We will talk about the weather. We will talk maybe talk about hunting or your favorite you know rifle that you got or whatever. Maybe we'll go golfing. But you don't talk about how hard it is to be married. Or you won't talk about your addictions. Or you won't talk about the things that you have really been your strong points of shame in your life. Or whatever it is. All the things. And so definitely we're onto something as far as being able to work through building a strong sense of self and answering those questions. <clears throat> Having other guys with you who are able to talk about those questions as well. It's huge. It's, it's, that's a really big part of moving forward. Yeah. And I would recommend for any guy listening, um, get in touch with me or Ken or literally anyone else uh, in Mm -hmm. this space to just figure out if there's something local to you or even online has been very impactful for me. Um, We're offering a bunch of stuff as well. So I just like being in brotherhood. Mm -hmm. I think like dads need brothers, not bros. I think men need brothers, not bros. Like you were saying, (laughs) you got to be able to talk deep. And that's one of the things that you can get by going through a program like this or whatever you offer, whatever I offer. It's like there's facilitated groups we show you how you can interact and within a couple weeks Mm -hmm. i always get guys going 
oh, I didn't even know I needed this. This right. is amazing. And it's like this freedom to open up and go, oh, I'm not alone in this. Yeah. I'm not alone in my shame, for example. Mm-hmm. And now I'm having to see who I really am showing up as because the guys are telling me and mirroring back who I am. And they're yeah. often more accurate than I give myself credit for because I'm not really being honest with myself. So that's part of why I think this stuff works so much. Um, and as you're talking about all this, the next thing that came to mind is like, okay, awesome. You guys got to do this work, become more aware of what's going on. Like ask those questions to yourself, like Ken said, but as a dad, I'm also, it's like this double-edged sword. <clears throat> I'm looking back to my father. I'm looking at myself and now I'm mm-hmm. looking at my sons. Yeah. Is there something, do you want to maybe just talk a little bit about how to ensure that I don't want to use insure because you can't insure, but how do you encourage your sons or your daughters to also be internally referenced when so we have so much influence over our kids as the external reference? What's that flip like as parents? Yeah, I think the the thing is like we all fear that our kids would be so externally referenced that they would give in to peer pressure or they would do all this stuff or they wouldn't be able to say no or they wouldn't have boundaries and they wouldn't have that internal frame. <clears throat> and what you're asking is I believe this is actually hmm, next to protecting and providing, protecting and just make sure your family's safe, um, providing, make sure they have a roof over their head. There's more to providing. There's a big thing that's big about providing. But those two things is kind of hierarchy of need thing. I think the the next thing, the most important thing that a father provides is that healthy identity. And it's that being able to, once you start learning about yourself building an internal frame of reference, now you can actually teach your kids how to do this. Because I think this is so powerful because every one of us wants our kids when they're done and they're 18 years old and they go off to college or work or whatever, the military, who knows where they go, <clears throat> that you want – your hope is that my kid is going to be confident and know who he is and know what his values are and know what his character is and nobody's going to say – nobody's going to shake him or crumble him at all. That's our goal is to have a – internally referenced solid kid when he goes out whether it's he or she and this has been fun watching my kids just go take care of business and it's fun it it's actually fun it is um gosh why do i keep using that word because it is fun it's just cool to see your kids succeed and be strong people and just be amazing individuals um and so that that whole idea of how do I teach my kid to have an internal frame of reference and being able to trust their own intuitive, hey, this is not right, or I don't know if I like this situation, or whatever. Um, <clears throat> the other part of this is with their identity. Um, how many kids do you got? Three with one more on the way. Okay. So you, you've got three, and your, your fourth one's going to be coming out. And you know this as well as I do, that they pop out of the womb with a completely different character than the other one. Oh, yeah. Right? It's the weirdest thing. It It's the Psalm, what is it, Psalm 139, I think, where you're created in your mother's womb or whatever, you know, and God just plants. Fearfully this, and wonderfully made and knitted in the womb. Yeah. Knitted. Yeah. It's, just, it's crazy how it's like that kid was is that kid in the womb and they come out with their different personalities and all this stuff and so the father's work is to be able to go who is this kid because it's not our it's not our work to create that we've already done the creation when we planted the sperm man that was a fun time that's a good time right (laughs) but the whole thing of now they're coming out and our work is not to create them and to create who they are our now our work is to identify and observe who they are Mm. and then set them free to fully be who they are that's to give them their identity oh i see who you are you know like my daughter man my daughter from the very beginning she was a people person and the best way to discipline her, it was so easy, so easy. It was just, you got two minutes in your bedroom. Man, that was the most agonizing thing to be separated from from us. <clears throat> and it was the best discipline ever. And she, was, she would always be a good kid because she didn't want to be separated, right? Because that's good discipline is something that, something that really means like that. 
right? But that was her. And she's this people person and she's caring and she's nurturing and every, um, that's just who she is. And so my job as a dad is to be able to recognize this is who you are. This is how you're beautiful. This is how your glory is as you interact. My, my daughter has this network of friends. She's always had this massive network of friends. It's just really cool to watch because that's who she is. And so my work was is to find out who she is and to set her free to be that person and to really be confident in who she is. <clears throat> Same thing with my boys as well. They're, my two sons are totally different. They have totally different um, ideas about life and how to move in life. And so my job was to be able to see this is who you are and to be able to help them to be who they are. Does that all make sense? Oh, it makes so much sense. And it, it's kind of blowing my mind, to be honest, um, because I had read or I'd heard someone tell me that in Proverbs, you know, you've got to raise up the child in the way that he should go. But I heard that the original Hebrew was actually by his bent, which is to say uh-huh. by That's... his character, like you were just saying. <clears throat> and that how you just explain it, uh, honestly, like relieved me in a sense, because I have been even personally thinking, okay, how do I ensure they've got this characteristic and this trait and make mm-hmm. sure they're going to be successful here rather than simply looking and observing and helping them on the path that they're already destined to be on. Mm-hmm. That seems, first of all, a little bit less stressful because I'm not trying to mold them, <clears throat> but also like serves them so much better so that their reference point is themselves. Man, this is blowing my mind. I really appreciate the clear <laughs> breakdown like that because it's, it will, this will like, this will change how I view them quite honestly. So I hope this is landing for the guys as well. Cause this is yeah. much different than what a lot of people talk about. Um, and just like getting them, even if you're raising good kids who are resilient that's not a cookie cutter if it's not about them. So I love the idea that you're you're focusing on them. Um, man, what else should I be doing parenting wise? Well, okay, so <laughs> I've got minor, minor nine, seven, and two. So uh, what else can you add on? So the, the, so the other category, the other category with that, which is the same thing. I've got something else too as well with that. But the same thing with setting them free. Um, most of us, like I said, most of us have wrestled with shame. This deep sense that something's wrong with me, I'm defective, um, not good enough, right? <clears throat> That's a really, really powerful thing that I think each man is going through his journey to defeat shame in his life. To be able to recognize, because that's a false narrative, a false narrative. You are not defective, you are okay, you aren't perfect, but you're not, nothing's wrong with you, right? Um, that whole thing, being able to, to let that finally sit in my belief system that I believe the true narrative, that I'm okay. I'm not perfect, but I'm okay. I think that's a really powerful thing. That is a significant thing to teach our kids and to be able to teach them what is true about them, the true narrative, that you're not a piece of shit. Not that you would say that to your little kid, but once they're in high school, they start thinking that and they'll say this, you know. And, and you go, no, that is not true. So our voice as a father is a really powerful part of a father, being able to speak life into our children, to be able to teach them that they are okay, that they are good enough, that they ha- and all the things that I was talking about that you notice about them. I see how nurturing you are, or I see how amazing how you build things, or I see how you love literature, just saying things about my three kids. Um, and so it's like, I see this about you and this is my work to be able to let you know that you are not broken. You are good to go and you can trust yourself to be able to move through life. Um, and all that. Um, the other thing I was going to say is the whole thing. There are just, there are things as a father to be able to teach our kids like gratitude and humility and to be able to say I was wrong and things like that, that are just absolutely essential. I think gratitude is easily one of the most significant superpowers that a human being can have when they, gratitude is just amazing. Um, and appreciation and being able just to have gratitude and appreciation is just a huge thing. Um, humility, obviously being able to say, I'm not all that. I'm not perfect. Um, and when I make a mistake, I'm still okay. I just made a mistake that was more of <clears throat> feedback rather than a failure. And I'm learning about that was a mistake. That's the difference between shame. Guilt is says, 
I made a mistake. Shame says I am a mistake. And so that whole thing of teaching your kid to make mistakes, having that as your family tradition, we make mistakes and it's okay. You know, it's a big deal. It really is. And then the whole idea of saying I was wrong. I'll tell you what, this is one of the most powerful things that a father can give, especially teenagers. Um, But if it's something you've been doing since they were little, being able to own it, man, I shouldn't have said that. I should not have said that to you, Um, whatever it was. Uh, Maybe I really shouldn't have yelled at you, or I shouldn't have uh, gotten mad at that. When we were driving, I shouldn't have got mad at that guy who cut us off. I shouldn't have said that. I was wrong. Um, I actually think in a relationship, the three most powerful words, or parenting even, I think the three most powerful words are not, I love you, it's, I was wrong. The words, I was wrong, actually create so much more reconciliation than you would ever imagine. And when you say something offensive, when you do something wrong, it's a really powerful thing in your marriage, um, as a dad. When you make a mistake, we make mistakes. And being able to say, I was wrong, shouldn't have done that really models to your kids something really profound. And on the day that your kid comes to you and says, Dad, I shouldn't have done that. I was wrong. You, you're just gonna, you're gonna die. Just, it's, it's gonna be some inside of you going. My kid is awesome when they do that because that. Do you know what I'm saying as far as how I was wrong is a significant thing? What are you thinking yeah, right now? It, it's one. Of, oh, this is something that I have practiced a lot, and I don't <clears> want to say I'm good at it. But I realized that it was way easier in relationship to just say I was sorry when I screwed uh, up. But like you said, it's so tied into shame because for years I could not say I'm sorry because that would have meant I was wrong. And if I was wrong, I wasn't perfect. And if I was perfect, I was a piece of shit. And therefore nobody loved me and I was going to boom. Die. That boom. was exactly how it went, right? Uh-huh, and so uh-huh. it was a shame spiral. So I couldn't <clears throat> admit that I was wrong lest I be basically killing myself is what it felt like. Mm-hmm. So when I... As I was going through this, and I would love to ask a couple of references in terms of where people can learn about this stuff, um, but man, saying I'm sorry, <clears throat> saying I was wrong, and I did this just for everyone's clarification. I'm not perfect. Imagine that. I <laughs> was impatient with my wife the other day, and I did not love her well in sort of a, a 1 Corinthians 13 sort of way, if, if anyone gets that reference. wasn't patient. Um, I, I was putting myself before others. I was not being kind. And I told her that and I asked her forgiveness. But then at the table the next morning, I told the kids, I said, look, I had to admit that I sinned the other day and I wanted to let you guys know that it was wrong of me to do these things. And here's why. And sharing that, I think not only does it like totally take anything out of the relationship with my wife and I, where it's like, oh, she's upset at me. Mm -hmm. I'll take the blame because I was wrong and that's okay. But it also models to my kids, I hope the fact that they can come to me rather than like I would have done as a kid, which is bottle it up, don't tell anyone, and just go, oh man, I, I get found out, I'm goner. So anyway, all that being said, I'm so uh, uh, like 100% on board with this, Only and, and maybe only because I've seen the opposite in my own life, how painful it is to not admit that, and the flip side of like, you're not, like it's going to be fine. Just say you were wrong. You don't have to be like, it's not alpha mm-hmm. machismo. If you're never wrong, like it's just, it's stupid. It means that you're lying because you are wrong mm-hmm. a lot. Um, so yeah, man, I'm, I'm really picking up what you're laying down here and I really love this. Um, and it's being said in a way that is non-condemning, <laughs> which I really appreciate. Uh, so yeah, please, if there's more to this, continue, but no, I'm, the, I'm definitely picking it up. The only, the only other piece to it, and I love how you say sorry from your Canadian accent. <laughs> <laughs> it's the, uh, the, the whole idea of the, um, the no more sorry man is a really, and don't, so part of what I talk to guys about, literally never say you're sorry ever again. Just don't use those words. And so don't say I'm sorry, but do say I was wrong. When you say I was wrong, it actually has meat to it. It has substance to it. I'm sorry is just kind of a brush off. It's kind of a, you know, oh, I'm sorry, you know. And and so it's like, um, just don't don't ever say that again. But like you said, sitting down with the kids. I was wrong. I sinned. Shouldn't have done that. That has substance. And your kids now know what it means. Oh, this is being modeled to me that I can actually say I was wrong or I made a mistake. 
<clears throat> and that actually is a really, really significant thing. So this would be something if you look at this would be back to the well, what I was talking about, breaking the chain, you know, of adding humility into my life and being able to say I was wrong or I made a mistake. Most of us in our families of origins, we were like what you said, man, I can't I can't admit to a mistake or um, I was wrong or I'd be crucified or whatever. Right. Or the fear that I would be abandoned or something like that is in the mix. But being able to teach your kids that it's totally okay to say I was wrong or I made a mistake, that's what our family does. We're good. We are good at making mistakes because every time we make a mistake, we learn something. And <clears throat> and every time you learn something, we're better human beings because we're not probably not going to make that mistake again. There you go. Right? Yeah. And so, yeah, so – uh yeah, go ahead. No, please. <laughs> no, please. <laughs> no, you're Canadian. I'm sorry. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for, uh, just to summarize, so I was writing this down here. It sounds like um, a father's role can be broken down into what we were just talking about, into raising a child by the way that he is basically his bent. Um, so uh -huh. encouraging uh -huh. him in himself, number one. And, set, number and, two setting, is being and the, setting them free. Setting them free to be themselves. Right. In the fullness of who they are, without the right. shame. That exactly. Right. That was that was the second part. Is is um, okay. being the shame killing voice. Yes. Oh, head. yes. That's such a good way to say it. I like it because because shame would be you know I'm not good enough. Whatever. I'm a, I'm a piece of shit. But if the voice that's combating that is the father's voice, because uh -huh. I talked uh -huh. to so many guys who are like, wait, I'm not talking like that to myself. It's my father's voice, but it's 99% of the time, the negative. It oh, totally, my father said yeah. I was stupid, right? Yep, and yep. so the flip side of that is, can you imagine being the shame killing voice? So that's number two. And then the third one is modeling by being a good human being, which yeah, is being yeah. humble, which is showing, uh, you know, compassion and all that kind of stuff. So that three pronged approach of raising them up in the way that they are basically, uh, programmed already to go uh -huh. killing the shame and exposing them to good modeling. That's a very achievable path of fatherhood for most guys. It doesn't rely on this tactic and that strategy and all oh, learning this and learning that. It's like, if you can just be a good man and support your kids and just observe who they should, who they're going to be. Yeah. That sounds like a really good model. Is there anything to add to that? <laughs> there's a, there's a ton to add to it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. <laughs> Do you want to add anything to that? No, or, so, uh, yes. So gosh, you, you really did a great job of, of making it really uh, three really simple things. Cause I think that's what I, I like what you're doing. You're, you're making it to where like for yourself, you're going, ah, oh, take some pressure off. Right. Cause so often we're, um, we're given, you know, oh, you get, you, you have all the pressure to be able to, to make to make make this kid be a great human being, right? But you got to trust that you are already a great human being who you are, and your kids are already great human beings. Even when they're even when they're being little brats, our work. So maybe maybe this is the other other thing. Our work is to guide, and we guide through boundaries and through what we're talking about mentoring, showing them. And so I've, I've heard it put this way. A father stands in the way of foolishness. <clears throat> so if your child is moving in a foolish fashion, we just stand in the way and say, no, that's not what we do. That's not how we live life. And that, that's, and that is setting a boundary and saying no. And so when I'm saying standing in the way of foolishness, imagine a two-year-old, my grandson, you know, he's always doing stuff. He was, I forget what he did recently. Oh, he, he crawled out our doggy door um, from our dog. We had to put our dog down in uh, last January. Um, but we still have the doggy door, obviously, in our house. And he crawls through it and, and he goes out and he, he um, and it has like a, almost a three-foot drop. And the dog would just go out and book across the little pathway that there is. He went out and he fell off the whole thing, right? Because <clears throat> he loves the doggy door. He loves... Anyway, what am I saying? Standing in the way with foolishness would be, no, you can't go out the doggy door. But I want to go out the doggy door. No, it's dangerous, right? And so being standing in the way of, no, this is not something you can do. And so that would be what it is. It would be like with a 16-year-old, you know, no, you can't go do this certain thing. 
because of whatever foolishness it was. Or you're not doing your, your schoolwork, so therefore you can't do whatever it is. And so setting boundaries, having discipline, um, being influential that way is a really powerful thing of um, helping guide your children for sure. Does that make sense? Mm, yeah, totally. And that's a great um, cap to maybe make that a, a four-piece guide there because boundaries are so important as one of the things that I've worked most on. And most, um, most of the guys who have talked to me and work with me are learning how to do this because they're coming from that nice guy externally referenced exactly. place as well. Yeah, so yeah. boundaries are huge. Um, and I'm curious, as you brought up teenagers there, mm-hmm. if we do this, yes. if yes. we go through this sort of three, four-point formula, and you said influence as well— does it become reasonably, I don't know, I don't want to say easy, obviously, but the, the the main story you hear in today is that once they hit teenagers, they're going to rebel, they're going to hate you, and you just have to deal with it and hope they don't kill themselves. Like, that's not how I want to parent. I don't I think, want I think that the, to ever happen. The last one is always true. I hope that they don't kill themselves. <laughs> but <laughs> it, but I, if you do a good job, youngsters, guiding them, be open the whole thing of modeling, um, modeling I was wrong or mistakes, um, them being able to come to you, I made a mistake or I was wrong, um, humility, gratitude, all those things that we're talking about. Um, you're going to create good human beings. Um, as far as, um, yeah, what happens normally is parents are unwilling to give their children freedom or autonomy, Ooh. right? And so that's why there's this rebellion. It's always this rebellion because this is what a teenager, it's in the <clears throat> in the stage of life, it's autonomy. I need, I'm building autonomy in my life. So the way I, as a marriage and family therapist, the way that I kind of frame it is you have a um, zero to 100% autonomy. And pretty much starting when they're 10, if you give 10% autonomy every year. So as a 10-year-old, as a 9-year-old, you give a little bit of autonomy. But as a 10-year-old, if you give 10% autonomy, okay, you get to choose this or do this. Or sure, this weekend you get to go do this. Sure, choose something. And as an 11-year-old, you have 20%. And the 12-year-old, 30%. As a 16-year-old, you have 70% autonomy where you can choose and do things that you want to do. I'm not going to tell you what to do yet. If you st- and then obviously by the time they're 20, they're 100% autonomy, right? Where And that's what you want because another thing that we always see is kids that go off to college and all of a sudden they have all this autonomy, but they've never had any autonomy because their parents have, or it's probably most especially the mother has been hovering helicopter. And some dads do that as well, but that's keeping them safe. But the dad's, the dad's ener- mom's energy is to keep everybody safe. Dad's energy is to keep make everybody confident and go out and conquer the world. That's dad's energy. And those two energies seem completely different. And they are. They're kind of opposed, but they're not mutually exclusive. They work perfectly together. But a mother has to understand with the father's energy, no, we're going we're gonna to send this kid out. We're going to let them get a driver's license or we're going to let them spend the night with their friends or we're going to let them, you know, go to the grocery store by themselves and walk back or whatever. Right. We're going to actually let them. And that's the thing, like you said, and we hope they don't kill themselves. <clears throat> right. But we have well, to it's let the risky behavior. Yeah. It, it's the but the thing is, this is life. But we have to we have to face that possibility. But we have to let them choose and move and make and do what they want to do in increments. As they get older, as teenagers, you let them have a bigger chunk of autonomy, and you they know they're going to earn their autonomy through trust. And when that happens, if you can trust your kid, and they know your kid, the the equation is with your with your teenager is. <coughs> Um, trust equals freedom. If I can trust you and you tell me the truth and I know that you're at where you are, you say you are and all this other, and I can trust every word you say, you got, you got freedom. But if you start to lie to me, if you start to find stuff out, freedom disappears. That's how this works. That's how you stand in the way of foolishness. 
Anyway, that's a totally another concept, but anyway. Yeah, no, that's so good. That's, um, it's just, it's one of those things that, you know, my oldest is nine, he'll be 10 in a couple months. Uh-huh. And so I'm at that stage where we're getting there. What would it look like to start to give him a good taste of autonomy? Yeah, exactly. And I'm, I'm thinking about that as we're going. Like, yeah. And I'm thinking like, you know, he's already got a reasonable amount of autonomy. We're talking uh-huh. about like knives and pocket knives and stuff like that. Sure. He's had that for a while. He's he's allowed to do that kind of stuff. He's allowed to do his whittling in the back. He's got a, a fair bit, I think. And it's like, what is the next step then? While also giving him the consequences of poor decision making, presumably, with some support. Um, is there anything in that? Maybe the last thing we talk about there, like when there is that consequence, it's not me coming down on him necessarily. It's like, oh, there was a natural consequence there. And now it's your problem because it's part of your freedom. Is that the way yes. to look at it? Yes. I think natural consequences <clears throat> are, you think about all the things that, that you really, you really learned natural consequences. Can't do that again. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think, and, and yeah. so part of it is, is, but see, Natural consequences are a result of a parent letting a child actually face a natural consequence by doing something and facing that. And that's that's a pretty powerful thing um, to let your kids feel it. But if you're a helicopter or if you're, you know, the hovering or bubble person or whatever, you know, you're not going to be able to let your kids actually ever face natural consequences. And natural consequences are a very profound learning mechanism in your child's life. And so part of it is I need to let my kid feel some pain. And that's a tough thing as a parent. But this is also, and this is another thing, we could talk for another hour on initiation. Initiating my kids and my sons is letting them face difficulty because they face difficulty. And guess what they find out? I can handle it. And that's the initiation process. And so that would be another thing of letting them face some kind of natural consequences or getting out there and doing something really hard that could cause some pain or hurt. Yeah. 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 I wrote a post a little while ago called let your kids fail Uh for this exact reason. And it's so hard to let our kids fail because like you see them hurting and you want to jump in. Um, man, I, I, I feel like I'm going to have to invite you back for a part two because there's so much and this hour has flown by. Yes. Um, so I want to make, I want to be respectful of your time here. So, Thank um, you. Ken, where can men find you who are listening, who want to learn more, who want to dive deeper with you? Okay. So, um, my website is solidman.com. And, uh, I think on there you can link up to find, uh, <clears throat> to, there's a place where you can uh, send me a message and I'll re- reply to you. Um, or you can go to Ken at solidman.com or, um, Ken Curry LMFT at gmail.com would be another way. Um, just, uh, and I'd love to interact with anybody emails. Um, I like doing that. Um, and then find resources that you could, you could get or whatever for sure. Yep. Amazing. Okay, well, yeah. all of all of that I will put in the show notes at dad.org slash podcast if you didn't catch it. So just head on over there. Ken, this has been uh, like personally very helpful. <laughs> these are my favorite podcasts when I get these because it's actually just me, uh, you know, becoming a better dad. And thankfully, you know, all the other guys are going to listen to it and get that same value. So thank you very much for being open Bet. to this. Thank you for sharing your wisdom. And uh, I'm going to have to come back for a, a part two if you're open to it. So that thank would, you. So that would much. be fun, Kurt, for sure. I'd appreciate it. All yep. right. Thank you, Ken. Thank you for listening to the Dad Work Podcast. That's it for this episode. But if you would like to stay in touch between weekly episodes, why don't you go over to Instagram and follow me there? Because I drop a number of things throughout the week that are related to what we talk about on this podcast, but usually go a little bit deeper, provide some tips. You can find me on Instagram at dadwork.curt. That's D-A-D-W-O-R-K dot C-U-R-T. And please, if you have been getting something out of this podcast, if it has touched you, if it has improved your marriage, your parenting, or your life, would you please leave a quick review on Apple or Spotify? Leave a rating. If you have a few extra seconds, leave a quick review. That's the best way that we can get this work in the hands of more fathers. And I truly believe that we change the world one father at a time because each father that parents better, that loves better, raises children who do the same. And in just a couple of generations, I feel like we could be living in a world much better than the one we live in today. Your review will help along that path. And I thank you so much for being here to listen. Until next week, we'll see you then.